0: There's a phrase I find interesting. It's often used to describe a person who seems to have some kind of unusual power in different ways. The phrase I'm thinking of is force of nature. When I hear that man or that woman is a force of nature, it makes me think of someone who comes in like a whirlwind with a clear objective and nothing is going to stand in their way. And that description makes sense because that's how nature is sometimes here in florida we're about to go into that magical time of year called hurricane season a storm comes up out in the atlantic and they often make their way here and they are literally a force of nature thankfully we usually have lots of warnings so we have time to prepare but if you're in the path when a hurricane comes through it's loud and scary it's terrifying it doesn't care about you it's just doing what nature does but sometimes nature can be just as scary and just as deadly in complete silence that's what greg found out when he found himself alone and wondering if he would survive real people in unreal situations there is a girl hanging by her broken leg from the telephone wire. And I called 911, and I said, I found a baby.
1: I turned around. I see a gun pointed at me close enough I could touch it.
0: She would hold our heads underwater water all the time. He Levels
2: the gun, pulls the trigger, and I go down. Her eyes were full of tears. She didn't want to leave us. My hair catches on fire. I swear to God, this, is, this image is burning my head for the rest of my life.
0: I'm Scott Johnson, and this is What Was That Like? Hey, it's Scott, and guess what? You're about to hear an ad, and that's both good and bad. It's good because ads are what make it possible for me to keep bringing you these episodes, and it's bad because, well, maybe you don't like listening to ads, and I get that. And the good news is, you don't have to. When you sign up to support the show, you get every single episode without any ads. Plus, you get all the bonus episodes. Yeah, did you know there are actually bonus episodes? And you can try it all for free just to see what it's like. If you're on an iPhone, just go to the What Was That Like podcast and at the top, click on Try Free and you're in. On Android, just go to whatwasthatlike.com plus And try it out completely free once you've had the ad free experience you'll see why hundreds of other listeners are already doing it but for now here's another ad and then on with today's episode hey my name's otis gray host of the daily book club a daily podcast where i read wonderful old books one chapter at a time simple as that whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time or just relax to a good book. Listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into The Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you wanna listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to The Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. This happened in Las Vegas. What were you doing in Las Vegas?
2: I do these public art commissions all over the world. Um, I mean, just as, as far flung as Azerbaijan and Saskatchewan. And I won a commission to do the floor of the Las Vegas Terminal D Airport in Tarrazo, So I flew to Las Vegas. I stayed at the um, Rio Casino. And the reason I stayed there was I discovered that if you bought $15,000 worth of poker chips, you could stay there for free. And it's quite a nice setup. So I checked in. I bought my $15,000 worth of poker chips I put them in my safe in my room, and then I just thought I could forget about them. But after maybe four days, uh, I got a note under my door that said, "You're not gambling," and unless you, because apparently they have tracers on the chips. Unless I gambled, I was going to have to pay for the room, and I didn't want to gamble because I'm I'm not a gambler. What's interesting is when I when I told them um, what would the room cost me if I didn't gamble. They said ninety five dollars a night, which is still not bad. I mean, it's it was a beautiful room. It was like a very high story, had a balcony o- overlooking the you know Las Vegas. It had a sunken jacuzzi, so I was like, fine, I'll do that. So I I traded in my chips, and now I'm staying, um, you know, in my nice room at the Rio. And then each day I come down the elevator and go through the, the din of the slot machines, and then head over to the airport where I work on my my public art project. And that project was I decided to take the flight map of Las Vegas and do the whole floor of the terminal in terrazzo. Terrazzo is an epoxy, all different colors, which is soft, but then you put granite chips also of all different colors in the epoxy and mix it. And then you you lay out zinc strips on the floor to create different sections that you put the different colored epoxy in. And I had come up with 2,600 different elements that were going to be part of this flight map of Las Vegas. It was going to be on the floor of the of Terminal D. And I also had jetliners coming down between the escalators as if they were landing on the flight map, which is kind of a tongue-in-cheek joke. And so I spent a lot of time on my hands and knees with a team of people laying out these zinc strips. And it was Very complicated. And all the time I was working sort of on my knees, there was this 80-foot tall, huge glass wall, which looked across the runways and across the desert, and I could see these mountains in the distance. And the highest mountain, at the middle of it, kind of fingering its way down a a ravine, was a glacier. And I said to myself, you know what I'm going to do? I was also pretty miserable in my life going from the casino to the to the airport back and forth every day I mean I was not a happy puppy so I said what I'm going to do is I'm going to rent a car get up early and I'm going to drive to the glacier and climb it now I'd I knew nothing about glaciers I knew nothing about mountain climbing but that was my mission now you you live in New York City right and which I mean obviously
0: New York does have mountains but I mean you're in in lower Manhattan what
2: was, your, what was the attraction of climbing a glacier? The attraction was, well, you know, there's a, there's a famous story about, I think it was Edward Mallory, who he, he perished with his partner on his third attempt to climb Mount Everest. And he said, you climb a mountain because it's there. I, I could see this. You know, I was miserable in this very urban, even though I was in Las Vegas, I was in this very tacky urban situation. Um, the whole city is is made out of smoke and mirrors, like you know, cigarettes. Yeah, I know.
0: Everything is fake, of course. Everything is
2: fake. Every column you knock on is fake. So I'm in this existence, going back and forth between the airport and the hotel, and I just thought that would be just a great thing to do. So I decided to do it. And
0: you you said Sunday was your day off. That was your day. You were gonna you were gonna head to the mountains. Yes. And was this like at the end of your work there, or in the middle of it, or like did you have to go back to work Monday, yeah, midway through, yeah, it was midway through,
2: Oh, okay, I think it was I think I was there for three months, which is a a brutal three months. I mean Las Vegas is just not a nice place to spend time, so in the middle of this, I picked my Sunday, rented my car the night before, got up bright and early, you know, drove out of the casino and through the street grid of Las Vegas. And then I got to this state highway that just was a straight shot, interestingly enough, directly toward the mountain that had the glacier on it.
0: How long did you think it was going to take you to get there? Could you estimate, like, the distance?
2: Yeah, I thought it would be, again, I, I, had, I never got a map. I was so incredibly unprepared. It's, it's breathtaking. But I thought, just from judging, and of course, it's very hard to judge distances across, you know, a flat desert. So I thought I'd be there in half an hour. And in an so I started a to drive straight across, and it was a very hot I mean it was still early in the morning, very hot, and cars were like looming above the macadam through the heat waves as i as I drove across, which was a bad sign in my mind because it just meant it was going to be a really hot day after a half an hour i was you know, I was still halfway there, and then slowly I got to some i wouldn't call them foothills, I would just say that the desert began to rise up a little bit. I came to a scattering of ranch houses. And then above the ranch houses, there was a pine forest. And once I got into the pine forest, I stopped seeing the glacier. I couldn't see anything above me. And it was pretty dense pines. I did roll down my window, and there was this wonderful, sweet smell of nature that was so missing inside the casino or the airport.
0: Oh, yeah. That's like going from one extreme to the other. You're in the middle of
2: nature now. Exactly. And I was very pleased with that. And so I drove up and I had no idea where I was going. Didn't have a map, as I mentioned. At each fork, and it was a dirt road, each fork in the dirt road, I picked the fork that went uh, ascended more. And, you know, my engine was sort of straining and it was pretty steep at this point. My engine was sort of straining against the climb. And I just kept picking the right fork up and up and up. And slowly the trees got a little smaller. The altitude got higher. Um, I could actually, I was a little bit slightly dizzy because I could sort of, feel the altitude change.
0: Okay, if if the air density or the oxygen was lower, you're getting up in some altitude then. Yes, I am.
2: I am. It's taken me some time. As the trees got shorter and more stunted, every so often I'd come to a place where I could look through the trees and see the glacier, just a glimpse of it. So I was very excited about, you know, it was going to work. I was actually going to get to the right place. And finally, I, I broke out through some scrub And there was, I was like, I couldn't have been better placed. I was like right at the foot of the glacier or, you know, across some terrain to the foot of the glacier. So I was like really excited. And I got my, I had a little, it wasn't really a knapsack. It wasn't a belly pack. It was sort of halfway in between. I put that on and I got my water bottle and I started to walk across. And I was, I was very pleased that I had, had the good sense. I mean, I didn't, it was very bright too. I didn't bring sunglasses, which was a mistake. But I did bring my construction boots from the, from the construction job. And those were, I'm glad I wore those because they were nice, they were nice hard construction boots. When I finally crossed over onto the glacier, it was pretty steep and I had to herringbone of my feet sort of s- smash my feet in the in herringbone pattern to keep from sliding backwards. How cold was it? It wasn't that cold, but you could feel the chill of the, of the ice itself. Plus the fact that
0: if you, I I know whenever I've been out in really cold temperatures, as long as I'm moving, I don't feel cold. Yeah, exactly. Because your blood's circulating, and so you so you started to to make your way up the side of this uh, this mountain. Were, Were you walking on ground on just frozen ground or on
2: ice? It was icy. It was icy with sort of a it was sort of corn snow on top, but it was ice, and. As I walked up, it was, it was slow going. And I decided, first of all, I turned around a bunch of times and looked back and I could see, you know, Las Vegas sort of in a haze in the distance. And I, I, was, I was completely like gung-ho for this experience. As an aside to this, how old were you when you did this? I was 52. And how
0: would you describe your physical fitness, your condition at that time? I mean, were you intimidated by this climb or you say, hey, I can do this?
2: Nope. I was completely gung ho. I've always worked out. So I was in pretty good shape, but I, I I just was so hopelessly unprepared and unaware that I was unprepared.
0: I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with cook unity. or go wild and have CookUnity pick for you, because every meal is just amazing.
1: Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com what.
0: Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read, and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up, and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully, that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17 and you can use this promo code to give it a try
1: trust your gut with seeds dso1 daily symbiotic go to seed.com/what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month that's 25% off your first month of seeds dso1 daily symbiotic at seed.com/what Code 25 What? Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international best-selling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds. Experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session, as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with Therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts.
2: So I'm 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 climbing up, and I decide you know this would be a whole lot easier if I cut across to the rocks. So as I cut across. I could see there was a gap between the rocky ridge coming down and the glacier, which was formed because the, the rocks soaked up the sun and then they melted the glacier back a little bit. But what I was unaware of was that during the very cold nights, a strong wind would come across this glacier and make a little thin ice coating that extended over a larger part of the gap, which I was totally unaware of, so the gap was maybe a foot wide, and I thought I could walk right over and step across it. But in fact, this ice skin was another two or three feet that was completely invisible. I just thought it was more that it was the glacier. So as I approached it, there was a moment when I just suddenly, I just fell, and I fell about thirty feet down into this crevasse, and as I fell. I hit my, I, amazingly, I didn't hit my head on the rocks or the ice. I hit my right shoulder really badly and sort of bounced against the left one. Then I bloodied my, my knees, my shins. And at the bottom where the ice face and the rocks came together was sort of came to a point. And as when I hit, my feet were jammed into that, that point.
0: Yeah, you said it was a 30 foot
2: drop. That that's a guess. I mean, it might have been 40, but it was a long it was a drop.
0: It's enough that you can really pick up some speed as you're yes. falling so that when you hit and you didn't hit like a floor, you hit where these two walls gradually came together. So it was Exactly. It yeah. sounds like a very
2: tight claustrophobic position. It was. The first thing I did when I hit, I just panicked and I I sort of clawed with my fingers on both sides to try to get out, and I just bloodied all of my fingers, which was just a huge mistake. And then I, I, I said, "Greg, get a hold of yourself, man." And so I just, I just held still. I let my breathing recover, let my heart rate go down, and then I thought to myself, "Wow, not a single soul in the world knows you're here." I told nobody on the job. I told nobody in to an email. I told nobody in to a phone call. I just planned this thing, you know, to do it. And I I said, I said, God, Greg, you are so fucked. And when I said that, it sort of echoed up and down the, the, um, crevasse. And you could see maybe the crevasse had had a a slow curve to it. You could see maybe 20 feet in one direction. It was very hard to turn in the other direction because of my shoulder, but it was about the same distance. And I just, you know, I just thought, God damn it, man. You just, you're just totally fucked. I'm just trying to think of your your mental state
0: at this time, and you just kind of summed it up there. But it seems like the only options now for someone, if you couldn't get out, would be the airport. Your people that you were working for at the airport eventually are going to notice that you're not there.
2: But they have no idea where I am.
0: Right. They don't know where you are. And the, the but what about the car rental company? I mean, did, did this this was probably before... They put GPS trackers in cars, right? Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't think, I told nobody I was going to do this, so there's no reason why they should think the guy rented a car to go climb a glacier. Right. right. Yeah, you're not even close to where you were staying. Yeah. 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 Most of the crew I was working with also, I caught them cheating on the thickness of the Terrazzo, and it was a crew out of out of Los Angeles. And so they were not happy with me because I reported them to the general contractor, but. That went nowhere. I found a letter in doing the research for this conversation where I reported nobody got back to me. So they were not happy with me. It was not a friendly situation. So there's no reason they would know that, A, I rented a car, B, I wanted to go to the glacier. So it could be many months before anybody found me.
0: So your your current status, I'm just picturing this, you're injured, you're winded, afraid, of course. Yes. And you're in pain. Yep.
2: What do you do at that point? Well, I thought to myself, God, what if, what if the glacier shifts? What if there's an ice slide? What if it gets really cold at night and I just freeze to death? And I'm, I am so scared. I, I, and I, and then I'm also angry at myself. Also, during the fall, my ice, my, my bottle, my water bottle, and my little belly pack. Which had a sandwich and some fruit in it didn't fall with me. They got caught along the way. So I actually, I cried a little bit and then I actually prayed. And I'm a lifelong atheist and I prayed to God to help me out, which I found kind of, that was the only momentary, I don't know, comic relief because I thought, you know, what are you doing, man? This is like nuts. But I asked God to help me. And then I think I also lost consciousness a couple of times uh, because when I, I all of a sudden I w- I woke up and it was a little later. I was really cold and my blood sugar had dropped. I was shivering. And then I again I thought god. I I thought of my family, my friends, you know, I, I may never see them again. And and all because of my own fault.
0: You had mentioned that your blood sugar dropped. Yeah.
2: What made you aware of that? I was shivering. Which also could have been the cold, but I I also, I'm a little bit hypoglycemic, so I always know when it feels like, you know, I, I'm kind of faint because of my blood sugar level. Oh, so you know how to recognize that then? Yes, yeah. I, I, I think I fell asleep and woke up really cold. And, and I, I wasn't concerned about water because I, I just took some icy chips and put them in my mouth and I got my first taste of kind of bitter glacial water but it it definitely uh slaked my thirst and i did that for a while and then all of a sudden my little belly packed knapsack just drops from the heaven and it must have been dislodged by a wind or by maybe it was hooked funny and and all of a sudden it comes down i can't quite reach it but it's it's there did you have the
0: slightest thought that thank you god
2: well i i did. <laughs> i kind of refused to go there and thought okay eh. Coincidence. Yeah, you know, that's anytime there's a kind of a religious miracle, I I just say I, I you know, it's atoms in the void and it's just a coincidence. But I did, I silly entertained the thoughts for a minute. I, I, I was able to twist and, and put aside the pain on my shoulder and get a hold of it and eat my sandwich, which was and, and my piece of fruit and my crackers, which was a huge boost. And all of a sudden, I started to feel better. And then I heard someone else down there around the curve, and I, I said, "Hello, is anybody there? I I I'm hurt. Are you, are you there? Who's there?" And no noise. Then, like twenty minutes later, I hear it again, and I'm said, "Who's there? Help me! I, I, do you need help?" Again, nothing. It gets quiet again, and then I say, "Well, I can you know I can go around the corner with this new energy I have from my sandwich." I can sort of shinny along and go around the corner and see who's there. Could you
0: unwedge your
2: boots? Yes. It took a while. I had to play with different techniques, and I was trying to protect my shoulder the whole time, which didn't work very well. But finally, I just decided I'm going to go for it, and I just was able to kind of ignore the pain in my shoulder and turn a little bit. And it was very hard going because my feet kept getting caught. And there was one more episode where I heard somebody and then they didn't answer. And I thought, well, maybe they're really hurt. So I finally got slowly at the curving crevasse. I get around it and there's a deer, a female deer, and she's bloodied and she's, she's hurt as bad or worse than me. And, but when she sees me, she is completely freaked out and she, you know, she struggles to jump up. She actually jumps up and, 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 tries to flee from me, and because she has four sharp hooves, and she's motivated by a complete, you know, flat-out fear, a, you know, flight fear, she goes around, she continues around the curving crevasse. Away from you. Yeah. And I, as I follow her, and, and, I, and I couldn't keep up with it because she was moving, she started up the side of the, it's hard to describe the, describe actually the way it looked, but She disappeared around the corner. Then I caught up with her, and she was struggling to get up the caress. And the crevasse seemed to go be inclined a little bit or not as deep. And then she um, really got a hold, and she took off like a bullet, and she went up and up and up. And then she broke through the skin that was, you know, the ice skin that was there, and then she was gone. And I was able to more slowly work my way up, and suddenly I'm out.
0: I'll confess, sometimes I let my podcast playlist get out of hand and I get way behind. But there's one show that I subscribe to and any new episode goes right to the top of the queue. That's the Jordan Harbinger show. That's because I never have to figure out, okay, is this one going to be interesting or do I wait for the next one like I do for some shows? Because Jordan's conversations are always a must listen for me. He talks to fascinating people from any category you can think of. Authors, scientists, athletes, you name it. He's talked to undercover cops who posed as mafia and the actual career mafia hitmen. And the stories he gets out of these people, just incredible. In one episode, he talked to Paul Holes. You might know that name if you're into true crime. He's the former investigator who uses really advanced methods to solve cold cases, including the Golden State Killer. And another one I really enjoyed was with Sam Harris, an author and neuroscientist who promotes skepticism, and he doesn't mind taking on some seriously controversial topics like politics or religion. That one's going to make you think. Whenever a new episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show pops up, I already know it's going to be an episode that I'll enjoy listening to, and I'll bet you will too. For some episode recommendations, check out jordanharbinger.com start. Or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Scott. Did you know we offer a premium feed of this show that is completely ad-free and there are bonus episodes? Go to whatwasthatlike.com plus or just click the link in the show notes of any episode to learn more and to sign up. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can sign up right there in the app by clicking Try Free at the top of the episode list. And I hope to see you in the premium feed soon.
2: I'm overjoyed. I mean, I'm crying. I'm laughing. I'm I'm thankful. And I could see her bounding up the glacier. She was you know, high tailing it up the glacier, and she's gone. And now I'm like. I'm just, my emotions are all over the place because I'm, I'm going to live. I'm, I'm going to see my family. Everything is like, everything is great. Although I am bloodied I'm pretty much top to bottom. And so I'm hobbling down the ice. I was feeling joy for sure. Thankfulness. I'm not sure who I was thanking, but I was very thankful. I felt a little giddy because there is a funny side to joy. And then I also felt disappointed, I think, because I was just mad at myself, that I had got myself in this predicament. I, I'm also hobbling along. I mean I'm definitely, you know, it's like Valley Forge. I'm just definitely hobbling along to get to my car. So I had all these emotions going at once, and I just sort of, as I hobbled down, I was experiencing all those. And then as I got to my car, Another car pulled up, which was totally surreal because I had just been through this, you know, life and death situation, and here's another car. They get out and say, "Are you okay?" And I said, "Oh man, yeah, I'm okay, but let me give you some advice." And I started to explain to them about the edge of the glacier, and they said, "No, no, no, this isn't a glacier. There are no glaciers. There's no above-ground glaciers in Nevada. This is just the last of the snowmelt." from the winter so i thought great so not only have i made all these other mistakes but i'm not even climbing up a glacier i'm climbing up that last of the snow and then the guy um he said can we help you and they we went through a little negotiation I said no i think i'm okay i just i just want to get out of here you know i'm um, i'm okay so
0: you, you were done done with nature for that day huh yes
2: exactly totally done with nature and as I in in the car, it was very hard to drive because my right shoulder was killing me. As I slowly went down the mountain, I, I started to get really abuse, so, sort of self-abusive, because I just I just thought, you know, you you just made so many mistakes. You told nobody where you were. You had you didn't have the right equipment. You didn't have sunglasses. You didn't you didn't have a map. You didn't do anything right. What is wrong with you, man? You 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 got you got a problem. And while I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, what's made me successful as an artist is that most art commissions have like thousand applicants or two hundred applicants, and you're going to fail. But I I always head into them as if I'm going to win, and I have this kind of belief that I can do it, and that is very helpful, and that that sort of empowers you and makes you more of a winner, and so that's a good side of. Of my fearlessness. I'm not afraid to fail. But the bad side of it is, I also can charge into situations like this one where I have, uh, I'm gung ho and I have no common sense and no, nothing that, that, that holds me back. And as I drove along, I thought, you know, if you don't get a hold of this desire to run headlong into unknown situations where you don't know the terrain, you don't know the psychology. You haven't looked at a map. You haven't inquired of anybody who's done it, what it's like. You haven't gone on Google. Well, Google didn't exist in those days, but you haven't inquired of any experts. And, you know, this could cost you your life. So you need to get a hold of this. And then I thought to myself, you know, maybe you should get a tattoo that says something like, never miss an opportunity to stop and think. And then I I, I, I said to myself, you know what? Not only that, but maybe you should do the tattoo in reverse and do it on your forehead so that every time you look in the mirror, you see, stop and think. And uh, that's kind of the last kind of, I don't know, self-critical thought I had before I hit the straight highway back to that mirage of, of, of Las Vegas in the distance. The idea that, about having
0: no fear, going into a situation where you really don't know what to expect— if you could change that, is that a character trait that you would eliminate?
2: Well, it's very helpful in presentations. Most people get really uptight before they present or job interview. There's many situations where it's, it's very handy to be fearless. One of the interesting things is for years, I mean, I've done like 200 plus public art commissions and everyone was a whole process which finally ended up in a final interview where there was usually usually three finalists. And then I would make my presentation. And I had this trick. I would go into the room and it's usually a bunch of people behind a table. You're sitting in a hot seat. And I would find a reason to stand up and I'd bring a bronze sample or whatever it was I was going to do the project in and go around the table. And I would touch people's shoulders and have them look at the samples. And this was a great, it was a great technique. Because when you touch somebody, there's a physical contact. And it really helped my batting average. Um,
0: yeah, that's a that's another level of intimacy
2: that is Exactly. But also I'm not afraid to do it. Most people are sitting in the hot seat and they're just, you know, nervous. And as soon as I've also I, I always try to crack a joke to get a laugh. If I get a laugh early on, and in public speaking I have the same thing. If I get a laugh out of an audience, I relax. So, but the crazy thing about this technique of mine was that once Zoom calls came in, it was completely not useful because a Zoom call there's no contact. It's just you're on a, you're on a, on a divided screen like everybody else, and that definitely affected my batting average with with getting commissions. What was the diagnosis on your shoulder? So I um got back to New. I mean I I just I used to I had to take a break from the project I went back to New York. Well, they were happy to work without me, which scared me because I was afraid they'd do a lousy job. But I had, um, what's it called? It's not microscopic, but I can't think of the name. Laparoscopic surgery, laparoscopic surgery on my shoulder and they laced it together and it actually healed pretty quickly. And then I was back out there again. And they, I think to their credit, but also they knew I was coming back. Um, they did a pretty good job. How long were you away from the project? I would say it was at least a couple weeks,
0: might have been 3. Do you still want to climb an actual glacier?
2: <laughs> Probably not. It's kind of it's kind of hardwired in me now as a fear. I mean, I might maybe it's a good way to get over my fear.
0: Well, that's, I mean, if you're only going to have fear of one thing, that's a that's a good thing to be afraid of, I guess. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, if I was going to climb a glacier, I would do it with a guide. Oh,
0: that yeah, that would that would make sense, yeah. And
2: I would have incredible prep beforehand
0: before we wrap up i want you to tell my listeners about your podcast which is called the compulsive storyteller you know it's one that i subscribe to and i know my audience is going to love it because it's all stories what's what's that about
2: so the compulsive storyteller is a series of short real personal stories most 15 minutes long a lot of them are like five to ten minutes and they're about my life different parts of my life and basically, as you can see, I get myself into a jam and then I get myself out of it. And the arc of the stories and the stakes in the stories are how I get myself into things and then how I get myself out. And I like, I, I, I think that the time length is nice because five to 15 minutes is a nice, you know, a lot of podcasts are an hour or hour and a half and it's a serious investment, but mine, um, are short and sweet. So you can take a break and you can listen to one of them.
0: And that's what I do. When you have a new episode that comes up, I usually put that at the top of my queue because I usually listen when I'm riding my bike or in the car or something. And I know even if I don't have a long trip, I'm still going to be able to to, uh, to do
2: the whole episode. So it's convenient. Yeah, it is. I, I used to call them snackable, but that sort of denigrates the product in a way. Um, <laughs> and so some of them are comic. For example, I have one called Tui 2. It's a story of I had a girlfriend who was a, translator for the UN in New York she spoke like six languages but she had a pet rat and we had a french couple who were di- diplomats come to our loft for dinner and they wanted to you know they wanted to experience an artist's life and i thought they might even want to buy some art and in the middle of dinner when we couldn't find the rat the rat's name was ratsky and in the middle of dinner ratsky shot across the floor jumped up onto the table and went right up this woman's front of her dress to get a little pita pizza she was eating. And she flipped over backwards and her legs were f- flailing on. It was just a hilariously funny episode. That so that's one, kind of a comic episode. Uh,
0: yeah, that one had me laughing out loud. Um, Good. So we'll have a link to that. What's the, your, your website, how can people find you? It's called the compulsive storyteller.com. I've listened to, to a lot of your episodes and I know some of them are hilarious, but they're not all just
2: funny. What what would be an example of one that's that's more serious? Yeah, some of them are tragic. My mom, for example, was one of the first female Air Force pilots in World War II, and you know she underwent an enormous amount of abuse. And that's a it's a very interesting podcast. It's called Me Too, Mom, but it's also very tragic. Um, and then some of them are just weird, um, just weird things I've done. For example, one is called free fall, and I. You know, as an older person now, everybody's afraid of falling when they're older and breaking their hip, and it's the beginning of a long downward slide. And so I I collected three of my best fall stories from my life, where I bounced right up and, you know, almost died and bounced right up. And those are kind of both funny and and, and tragic, but I I think weird is the best word to describe them.
0: When you live your whole life in New York City, there's going to be stuff that happens all the time that are oh yeah they're story worthy for sure we'll link to all of that in the episode notes
2: and so people can go check that out greg thanks for coming on thanks for sharing your story my pleasure and thanks very much for your thoughtful questions i i I really enjoyed it
0: when i was in new york city recently i spent some time with greg and he showed me some of his public art installations he's a pretty interesting guy and we'll hear more from him in just a minute and now an update on our food server project. If you listened to the previous episode, I announced this fun little project where I'm asking everyone to chip in a dollar or two, and I'm going to give that money to some hardworking food service worker as a gift. Why are we doing this? Because they work hard and they deserve it. You can see the current status at whatwasthatlike.com server. It's all being done through GoFundMe, so everything is transparent. As I record this, we're over $200 so far. I really want it to be over $500 because that's going to be amazing to give that to someone as a surprise gift. And I'm planning to record that so you can see exactly what happens. So please join if you can at whatwasthatlike.com server. And Raw Audio Episode 34 is now live. The raw audio shows are bonus exclusive content with actual 911 calls for anyone who signs up to support the show at whatwasthatlike.com slash support. In this new episode, you'll hear a woman calling 911 because she's on the freeway and her accelerator is stuck. Do you have
1: your seatbelt on? I do. Okay. I'm coming up on a bunch
0: car.
1: cars. Okay. okay.
0: A mother calls 911 because her three-week-old baby has stopped breathing, and the 911 dispatcher tells her how to perform CPR.
2: Now, Mr. Hill, is he breathing? No. Okay. All right, ma'am. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you how to help him. okay? Okay. Okay.
0: And by the way, that call has a very happy ending. And the third story in this episode is two teenage sisters calling nine one one because they're home alone and hiding inside a cabinet while burglars are breaking into their house.
2: Okay, what door are they at? The very back. It's a, it's a smaller
1: house. Okay, so so the two men are at the back door. Yeah.
0: You can hear that whole episode plus binge the previous thirty three episodes. And get all the What Was That Like episodes ad-free by signing up to support the show at whatwasthatlike.com slash support. And you can get all of that right on the app you're using right now. Now here's something else you can do if you want to help support the show. I've been doing this podcast for more than five years, and never once have I asked you to rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts or in Spotify. But if you use either of those to listen to this podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you would just take a second and click to give the show a five-star rating. You can write a review if you want, but the important thing is just that five-star rating in Apple Podcasts, which used to be called iTunes, or in Spotify, and I really appreciate it. Graphics for this episode were created by Bob Bretz. Full episode transcription was created by James Lie. And this week's listener story is a voice you're familiar with. It's today's guest, Greg. This is a story he told on his podcast, The Compulsive Storyteller. Stay safe. I'll see you in two weeks.
2: Picnic. I find myself hungry in the middle of Newton, Massachusetts. As I leave the McDonald's with my bag of burgers and fries, I ask a passerby where I can find a nice place to have my lunch outdoors. He directs me to the banks of the pond in front of nearby Newton City Hall. As I walk away, he says something cryptic. If you're lucky, you may get to see a real good show. Not knowing what he means, I envision teenagers making out in their cars. When I park facing forward in the City Hall lot overlooking the pond, I can see a number of picnickers sitting on their blankets at the edge of the water. Some of them also have McDonald's bags. As I look to my left and right, it seems that the people sitting in their cars on either side of me are in a state of high expectation. The scene is idyllic. It's a perfect soft summer's day outside the Georgian Revival City Hall with its Greek temple-style portico and Corinthian columns. Just the slightest breeze ruffles the water, and picnickers are lunching on the newly cut grass by the pond's edge. Then, to complete this summer pastoral, a flock of Canada geese in a V formation, paddles across the pond toward the picnickers. I could be looking at a 19th century John Constable English landscape painting, possibly entitled Summer's Peace. As the geese pick up speed crossing the water, some of the onlookers in the cars around me start to toot on their horns, and all eyes are on the banks of the pond. I still haven't caught on yet. The guy in the car next to me jumps out, yelling and waving his arms to warn the people of something. But he's also smiling. They all ignore him, thinking probably he's some sort of a nut job. Then things happen fast. The lead goose reaches the edge of the pond, runs up the embankment toward the nearest picnickers, with his wings spread wide and his big black bill open, hissing at his targets. The family jumps up in complete disarray. The wife and one kid tumble sideways as the big goose steals their lunch, gulping down their burgers and fries. Now I understand why the occupants of the surrounding cars were in such a state of readiness. Meanwhile, the rest of the flock make short work of the other picnickers. I can't help but laugh at this scene of pastoral carnage. As they retreat, some of the panicked picnickers still have their napkins tucked into their waistbands. A few are crying. Some are smiling, and all the onlookers are laughing hysterically. The lead goose is now digging through one of the overturned picnic baskets, looking for more food. I drive out of the parking lot, marveling at how this serene summer scene turned into complete chaos in the wink of an eye, and appreciate a good laugh. It occurs to me that for the onlookers, this is a regular daily event. I guess that if no one was really hurt, why not just enjoy the show?